I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 42, How Do I Talk to My Child About Racism? with special guest, Manuel Acho. Oh, I'm so excited for our guest today. I know, I know. This is such an important topic, and how we bring it up with kids is so critical. Um, you know, Rena, we've actually been having a lot of conversations about racism in our home because we, started, we decided to go back and watch the original Muppets. Um, oh, really? All the original Muppets <laughs> from, like, the 1970s are on TV. So I've been showing it with my um, to my 10-year-old. And one thing that's really interesting is that at the start of several episodes, there's a disclaimer from Disney Plus where, where it's housed now saying this episode depicts people or places in ways that we consider you know, racist or offensive at this point. And rather than erasing this, we're just going to mark this and note this, you know, that we think differently now, something along those lines. And so we've been having these conversations where we're talking about like, okay, what makes that inappropriate? Why is that not okay? But this is so hard, you know, that we we thought we'd bring in a pro, someone who really has um, addressed this work and taken on this work in such a huge way. So I am absolutely thrilled to have Emmanuel Acho with us. He is terrific. And you know what? It's part about partially about having these conversations. And where do you start? How do you begin? I want to introduce Emmanuel. He is a New York Times bestselling author and host and producer of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. His online videos really aimed to address racial insensitivity and ignorance. They were launched back in June of 2020, and his YouTube series has more than 80 million views. Wow. 
Yeah, Emmanuel's also a Fox Sports analyst and a former NFL linebacker. He's also got a master's degree in sports psychology from the University of Texas. Emmanuel, welcome! Rena, Lisa, so good to see y'all. So good to be joined by y'all and excited to have this chat and conversation. Oh, we are too. We are too. Okay, so your new book, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Boy, just came out and it was an instant number one New York Times bestseller. Congratulations on that. Congratulations. (laughs) Um, Thank you. I, I loved the book. I know you wrote it with the aim of helping kids understand systemic racism and racist behavior. And I know that your hope is to help parents have these conversations with their kids. What would you want white and non-black parents to understand about racism before they even have that talk? I would want them to understand um, the levels and intricacies of unintentional racism. What do I mean? Uh, Rena, Lisa, it's not the overt racism that plagues our society. It's not owning slaves. That doesn't happen anymore. It's not maliciously saying the N-word. That rarely happens, thank goodness. But it is the microaggression. It's what I heard so often as a youth, Lisa. Emmanuel, you don't even talk like you're black. Emmanuel, you don't dress like you're black. Emmanuel, you're like an Oreo. Black on the outside, white on the inside. Rena, if there are levels of murder in our judicial system, first degree murder, premeditated, premeditated, second degree murder, crime of passion, then you move down the rungs to involuntary manslaughter, it wasn't intentional, but it still led to death, then Lisa, I submit that there are also degrees of racism. And see, parents, particularly non-Black parents, that's who I'm speaking to now, we can obviously identify first-degree racism. Well, Timmy, don't say the N-word. Well, John, make sure you know, you're know you treating everybody politely. But can we identify the involuntary racism? Can we identify the, I mean, he's Black, but he's not like those other Blacks. I mean, you're a different kind of black guy. You're so educated for a black man. Oh my gosh, you're just so beautiful for a black woman. That is what I would want the non-black and my white parents to understand. It's not the overt racism that will kill you. Mm -hmm. It is the little emotional cuts from the sub-levels of racism that really will lead to death. But what if you're not aware that you're doing it? Because that's often the problem, Manuel. Just people don't know that they are doing it. Snaps. Snaps are a phenomenal question. I ask questions for a living. So when I get asked a good question, I'm excited. <laughs> um, Rena, I'll tell you like I told Oprah. I use this acronym, denial, D-E-N-I-A-L. Don't even know I am lying, right? And so many people don't even know they are lying. Um, You can't fix a problem that you do not know exists. However, Google is extremely free and so are public libraries. (laughs) And so with with that being said, there's also a quote I love, which is prejudice is a willful commitment to ignorance. You can also exchange that and say racism is a willful commitment to ignorance. Rena, at this junction in time and in society, if you are no longer aware of your own ignorance, it's it's your fault. And it's time to take accountability for that. I just wrote a book so that another large portion of society can no longer claim they are unaware because you're, there's a saying that ignorance is bliss. And while ignorance may be bliss to some, ignorance is leading to death of another. And so you can't just say I'm not aware. Reno, I'll say it like this. 
and I love how casual a conversation this is. Um, I'll, I'll say I'm usually so like uptight, but y'all caught me on vacation, so I'm in a great mood. Awesome, um, awesome. So, so usually, Rena, say you were to go to a foreign country. I'm first generation American, so my parents are from Nigeria. Lisa, if you were to venture with me to Nigeria, you would probably say, "Okay, Emmanuel." I know I will be a foreigner here. So are there any sort of customs that you I should be aware of before meeting some of the locals? OK, we're going to go meet a chief in this village, Emmanuel. So should I shake his hand? Do I take off my shoes upon entry? Do I bow? Do I prostrate forward? Uh, Lisa, you might ask me, hey, Emmanuel, how should I navigate so I can be least offensive? Now, Rena, if we do these things when we travel across the country, like non-black people always do this. Mm. We always take the extra due diligence of saying, you know what? I'm going to a foreign land. Let me understand how to be least offensive. Then don't you think we should do that domestically as well mm. with people that don't look like us? So here's what we don't get is like so much of what I try to talk about in so many of these concepts, people already do. They just don't understand that you can also apply them domestically to live at better peace with your neighbors as opposed to better peace with your neighboring country. I will say, as someone who spends a lot of time around teaching and teachers, that is the most brilliant teaching I have heard in a really long time. This idea of saying, you're already doing it. You have the skill set. Here's where you're already applying it. Now take that skill set and put it to work in your own communities. Put it to work in the day-to-day -day interactions you have. But like I, 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 I'm just like crazy about the concept itself, but also how wisely you're um, getting people to bring out the best in themselves. You know, sort of appealing to the better sides of people to try to help them actually expand the way in which they can be good. You know, one, Lisa, thank you, because I don't take that lightly. Um, two, I'm very solution oriented. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, if, if you read, I forgot what book it was. It may have been Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. It talks about how different countries are receptor oriented versus um, um, speaker oriented. Mm. And I take the obligation as a speaker to make sure you, Lisa, you, Rena, and everyone listening understands. I do not put the obligation on the listener to understand. I take the responsibility to deliver the message in a manner in which you all can understand. It takes some more time, but what is the point in speaking if they are not understanding? And so I just, I, I'm always looking. I told y'all, I'm on vacation right now, and so as I, as I travel to... Uh, Oh, I guess the same country. But as I traveled like five hours uh, 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 to Hawaii, it's where I'm at, um, my, my friend was wearing a Chicago White Sox hat. And this white woman came up to my black friend and was like, oh my gosh, you're from Chicago? And he was like, no, I just like the hat. See, they found a mutual connection based upon Chicago, where the mm. white woman was from, to lead her to converse with this stranger, this black man, my friend. Why do I present that? Because I oftentimes give examples of how we black people navigate as foreigners in America. I live in Beverly Hills when I'm in California. And so if I go to a restaurant and see another black person, I may give them a head nod. I may say hello. I, I may make a connection with them that I would not make with another white person because we share something, our blackness. Now, when I first said that, so many white people were like, well, mm -hmm. I mean, is that reverse racism? Why would you do that? But then I bring up the same example. You all do that all the time. When you go to Mexico and you're sitting in the customs line and you see another white person with a Texas flag on their backpack, you'll be like, oh, what part of Texas are you from? 
You're making a connection mm. with an individual while in a foreign land because you have something that bonds you all together. Mm. And so, Lisa, full circle, it's just a matter of trying to make sure that everyone can grasp these terms. Systemic racism is real. There's empirical data that states it is so. Prejudice is real. Um, but let's just all figure out how to let our guard down so we can understand it and move forward collectively as a better society. Mm. You know, you talk about what I love about your background is you grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, but you went to black church on Sunday and you knew what it was like to go between two cultures. I love that. I, I think about like my own childhood. My parents are from India, was embarrassed to bring the chapati and the chicken curry and the lunchbox to school. And now post-COVID, everyone's like asking as we're merging, hey, Rena, when are you going to cook the chicken curry? We'll be coming over. You know, like people, <laughs> how the tables have turned. But Emmanuel, what would you say to your younger self who was growing up and struggling between these two universes? Oh, golly. I, I think the first thing I would say is I would give myself assurance that it will all work out. So remember, I, I'm, I'm first generation American. So what does that mean? That means that when I go back to Nigeria, I'm not Nigerian enough because I don't speak the language, right? I'm American to them. But then when I am in America, I'm not American enough because like, I'm not really American. So you're, you're kind of a misfit. And then when I go to my high school, I'm not black enough because I don't, I don't know, speak however black people were supposed to speak to these white kids. But then when I go to black church, I'm too white because I go to school with all white people. Yeah. And so like, I was never enough. I was always like trying to figure out my identity. And it was because so many people said something that made me question my identity, not realizing, Rena, that you're black by skin color. Now, let me say something that I hope everybody on this, listening to this can hear, digest, and understand. There is a difference between color and culture. I just recently understood that about 10 months ago because that was the first time I verbalized it. And every now and then I say something smart that I'm like, oh, wow, that was actually um, <laughs> Note that. There's, Come back to that. <laughs> there's a difference between color and culture. What the heck do I mean? You can be black by skin color, but not black cultured, if you will. I was black by skin color, but I was Nigerian cultured, listening to Nigerian music, eating Nigerian food, going to Nigerian small groups, even to this day. So many of my black friends would be like, hey, did you watch this movie? You know, a traditional black movie, if you will, Friday, Friday after next, barbershop, et cetera. I'm like, no, because I grew up in a Nigerian household. I didn't get black cultured until I got to college playing football at the University of Texas and in the National Football League. So I hate lazy adjectives and we all use them. When people try to say, yeah, he's black, but he's not really black. What they're trying to say is he's black, but he's not really black cultured. Mm. So if you're going to say that, then say that. But let's also understand that culture isn't like a monolith group. Mm -hmm. Like there are varieties of black culture. And that's what I understood when I got to college. You can be black from the country, black go to private school, black from the hood, black upper class, black lower class. So I, I no longer, and I'm sure I used to say that as well. Like, yeah, they black, but they not black, black. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a matter of let's not be so lazy with our words. Yeah. Emmanuel, we've got a listener question we want to get to next. We're going to take a quick break, and then we want to talk about the N-word. We'll be right back. I was recently watching an interview of the wife of a world leader, and in the middle of the interview, she reaches over to pull her bra strap up, and I thought, boy, this is something all women everywhere 
are struggling with. This is why I absolutely love Honey Love. I have the crossover bra, which is just so functional, but it feels so good on. I feel like I've got the support without feeling like I've got this heavy-duty bra on. I've been through all the bras. The elastic wears out, the underwire pinches into your skin, you have to hand wash some, you can only wash it in this type of detergent, and I just wanted something that takes out all the fuss and will support me day in and day out. Honey Love's not just supporting women, it's empowering women. So treat yourself to the best bra on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash askalisa. You can use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash askalisa to find your perfect fit. And after you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. We hope you support the show and tell them Askalisa sent you. Honeys, you deserve this. Free the pain and discomfort and keep the support with Honey Love. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using Earth Breeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash ask Lisa. Okay, Emmanuel, we have a question for you from a parent. We let parents know that you were going to be on our podcast and they sent in questions for you. Okay, here we go. This question weighs heavy on me. My daughter just turned 13 and she's very active on TikTok. Rap is also my music of choice, but my issue is that many of the songs she posts say the N-word. I have told her that I find it totally disrespectful, especially as a white person, to repost these songs. I know I may be overreacting, but I just don't know how to feel about this and in turn how to talk to her about it. Is it just my thing and not hers? I can barely handle the half shirts, but this is too much. (laughs) Okay, so what's your advice to this mom? And how do you think white parents should handle the N-word? Oh, first you got to tackle the half shirts, <laughs> not the half shirts, <laughs> not the half shirts. Um, man, no, Lisa, this is a great question. 
Uh, this question takes years off my life in a good way. Uh, I mean, this is the question of all questions, right? Like this is the, uh, it's just, it is the question that needs an answer. I will say it like this. It's just such a heavy question. Um, We're watching you okay. warm up to so, answer it. We're watching yeah, you like, it's like dude, marshal it's just, your forces to get to answer this uh, question. It's, it's, um, I'm telling you, it's this, this question, it's, and mind you, it's such a it's such a tough question that I have to answer it so well. So I'm so cognizant of like every word I say. Okay, in our society, we all have certain language that we use based upon relationships. As soon as I logged on this call, I said, "Hey, Lisa, do you want to be called Lisa or Doctor Lisa?" Mm-hmm. You instantly told me Lisa. Um, Rena, I asked the pronunciation of your name, and Did. you clarified. And you also said what you said. Thank you for asking. Yeah, because. Based upon relationships, that's how we dictate what we call people. Now, Lisa, I'm sure some people call you doctor. I'm sure some people may call you L. I'm sure some people may call you LD (laughs) based upon that relationship that they have with you. But I, a relative stranger, will ask you what you want me to call you. Why am I saying that? If you're in a relationship with a significant other, you may call them babe. You may call them hun. You may call them darling. I would not go to your significant other and call them babe, hun, or darling because I do not have that relationship that you all have. But you all, based upon the relationship that you have, can use certain language with somebody you have a relationship with. The N-word is the same thing. Black people inherently have a relationship based upon um, 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 obstacles they have had to traverse and they have had to overcome, historically speaking, or even modern day. Obviously, historically, there were far greater obstacles, but there are still obstacles modern day. There is an inherent relationship there. Now, some people may say, okay, Emmanuel, but the N-word, it's such a volatile word. Why don't we throw it out altogether? To that, I would say this. I have a friend. He's a hip-hop artist. He calls his wife fat. His wife is not fat. She's roughly 5'2". I would probably estimate 120 pounds, maybe. But he refers to her as fat. I don't know why. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to tell him, hey, bro, don't call your wife fat. Fat's a nickname, mind you. He's not calling her fat based upon like the colloquial definition. He calls her that as a nickname. But I'm not going to tell him what to call his wife because they have a relationship. Mm. She also refers to herself as that. So who am I mm-hmm. to tell another man mm. what to call his wife when I am not in that relationship? In the same breath, who is a white person to tell black people what to call other black people when they are not in that relationship? Remember, there is a, well, I can't say remember because many of you may not know. Black people don't say N-word with a hard E-R at the end. Mm. There is different spellings of the N-word that dictates a change in meaning. If I ever type the N-word to my friend, I will never spell it how you read it in a Mm. textbook. Because black people have reframed the N-word to now use it as a term of endearment. Another sidebar. Not all black people are cool with using the N-word. This is a very packed question that you ask, so I'm giving you a very detailed answer, although I don't like talking very long. Um, When I was talking to Oprah, Oprah was like, I hate using the N-word, and I will not let anybody use the N-word around me um, because it was often the last word that black boys and girls heard before they were lynched and Mm. murdered. Wow. Oprah, a black woman, doesn't like the N-word. Me, a young black man, I use the N-word in my friend groups. So with that being said, 
it's not, we don't all feel the same way about something. No to no congregation or aggregation of people all feel the same way about something. But very simply, I would encourage that daughter, um, one, about the half shirt. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but um, no, I would, I would talk to the daughter and just say, lastly, and, and then I promise you I'll be done answering this question. Understand the meaning and the connotation of the N-word. If I ever post a video on my social media, I will not post it with the N-word. Because you have to remember, 1800s, the great orator Frederick Douglass, when talking about his master, said that um, his master told him that reading would spoil an N-word because you and N-word are nothing more than a slave to your master, close quote. The N-word is synonymous with uh, with death, with dirt, with reminding black people that they are worth no more than the ground in which they walk on. So when you say the N-word, particularly coming out of someone whose complexion is light, white, um, then it is reminiscent of the history, the horrible history in which that word had the connotation of. Wow. Okay, we're done. All right. So I got another question for you. Our listeners are dedicated parents. They're trying to get it right. They want to do right by their own kids and they want to do right by other people's kids. So as our listeners are trying to figure out what it means to be an ally, what do you think they should have on their minds as they start this journey? How do parents themselves act like allies and how do they help their kids act like allies? It's a good question. Um, being an ally takes action. I've never said that before and I like it. <laughs> um, being an ally takes action. What do I mean? Um, remember about a year ago when there was Blackout Tuesday and we all posted a black square on our Instagram pages? Gosh, that was so worthless in my opinion. And it was worthless not because the act didn't necessarily point people to um, educate themselves. It was worthless because the black square was used as a scapegoat to not have to do anything mm -hmm. else. Well, I posted a black square on my social media, so I'm an ally. What? You posted a bikini picture on Monday, a black square on Tuesday, and then a vacation picture on Wednesday. It's not allyship. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? And then you deleted the black square a week later because it didn't look good on your Instagram page. <laughs> um, like, that's not, that's not allyship. Now, let's, let's also clarify. Allyship looks different based upon where you are and to whom you are working with. I will give you all examples. After George Floyd was murdered, I get called by three white men, Brandon, Russell, Trent, three white friends of mine. And all they said was, hey, we're here if you need a vent, if you need to cry, if you need to yell, if you need to talk, we are here for you. In that moment, that was allyship. For those who don't know, before Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Boy was written, there was a video series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. That is how I got in touch with Oprah. She found me. That's how Matthew McConaughey ends up calling me from a no-caller ID number. Another story. <laughs> oh, that's a good um, one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I was creating these videos by myself. I was paying for them by myself. I was producing them by myself. I was editing them by myself. Why am I telling you all this? Because one of my white friends, who's actually a producer for a living, he says, hey, Emmanuel, if you need help, I would love to do it for you and support. Mm -hmm. That was allyship. Allyship doesn't necessarily look like marching and protesting. It doesn't necessarily look like uh, yelling Black Lives Matter. It doesn't necessarily look like yelling uh, 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 defund the police. Allyship looks different to whom you're being an ally to. 
Just like friendship looks different to whom you're being a friend to. If someone's going through cancer, I'll treat that differently. If someone's struggling with ALS, I'll treat that differently. If someone's going through a divorce, I'll treat that differently. If someone's going through a bankruptcy, I'll treat that differently. That's like asking me, what's friendship look like? Well, to whom are you being a friend? So what does allyship look like? To whom are you being an ally? Allyship looks like this. In business, um, in business they say, Find a need and fill it. Mm, yeah, that's right. And in, in, in allyship, I will say the same thing. That's beautiful. Find a need and fill it. Mm. Y'all are honestly getting all my gems. <laughs> it, must be my vac- it must be my vacation mind because I've never said that before either. And I really See, liked how it sounded. But Lisa does say this on the podcast. You've got to take vacations so you can let it all out and that it does help you reset. So there you go. Emmanuel, before we let you get back to your vacation, I want to give people a little taste of this book because it's so good. And by the way, I read it when I was on vacation. It is so great and, and fun to read. Um, you write here, you say, the longest lasting pandemic in this country is a virus, not of the body, but of the mind. And it's called racism. I'm not sure if we can cure racism completely. But I believe that just as scientists rush to find a vaccine for COVID-19, we should be equally steadfast in finding a cure for the virus of racism and oppression. However, this time around, you are the scientist tasked with finding the cure. And get this, you don't even have to go to med school. So I want to ask you, what do you think is the cure for racism and what really works? Man, yours crazy. I can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> it's so good. That's so good. You don't have to I go just, to race. That's here's cool. what people don't realize. Like, I'm not actually that smart. I just sound oh, smart sometimes. Take it's the crazy. credit. Stop. Take it's, the credit. It's really, it's really crazy. Um, okay. I'm going to say something that will sound asinine at first. But if you give me the patience to listen, you'll truly understand. And hopefully it'll blow your mind. Um, the biggest mistake we made in this country is when we outlawed segregation. Ooh, Emmanuel, did you just say that? Yes, the biggest mistake we made. Rena, what we should have done instead was mandate integration. Mm, mm-hmm. Digest that for a second, people. That's good. Digest it. See, when you outlaw segregation, all we did was take down the signs and put them in parentheses. Now, Rena, you're holding your book in my hand, so you fully understand. A word put in parentheses is still read. It's just not said out loud. See, when we took down the signs and we outlawed segregation, we still read whites only in our heart. We still read no coloreds allowed in our minds. We just stopped saying it out loud. So we shouldn't have outlawed segregation. We should have mandated integration Mm -hmm. because now you are forcing different people from different cultures to mix. And when you force people to mix, you understand that these notions that you had of different individuals are actually false. What is the cure for racism in our country? It is very simple. Mandate integration in your own life. Mm. Simple as that. If you mandate integration in your own life, then you will very quickly see that the concepts you had of white people may not actually be true. The thoughts you had of black people may not actually be true at all. You will actually get to know an individual for who they are. I'll end with a story. Growing up the son of Nigerian parents, we don't have dogs, cats, and pets. Because in Nigeria, you don't have dogs, cats, and pets. You may have a goat. You may have a cow. You may have a, 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 a giraffe. No, but um, you're not going to have uh, any pets. And so growing up in my house, we didn't have animals. 
So when I was in college, I went to a, a dog park with this girl I was interested in. And as we're walking through this dog park, I'm like, oh my gosh, I see this, like, this, this dog. I'm like, that dog's so cute. And she's like, no, 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 that dog has rabies. I'm like, huh? how do you know? <laughs> Moments later, we're walking. And she goes to pet a dog. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, no, this dog is just so adorable. You see, Rena, I could not decipher the difference between a dog that was a pet and a dog that was a threat. Mm. Because I didn't grow up with any exposure mm. to dogs. See, if you don't grow up with exposure to white people, you can't decipher the difference between a white person that's racist and a white person that's racially ignorant. Because you didn't grow up exposed to white people. If you don't grow up exposed to black people, you can't decipher the difference between a black person that's cold and thus has his hood on and a black person that may be trying to conceal their identity because you weren't exposed to different individuals. So you, like I, cannot decipher a difference because of a lack of exposure and integration. So caring racism, it isn't actually complicated. Um, it's just difficult. And you just have to mandate integration in your life. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Wow. I feel like we could go on for hours, but you need to get back to your vacation. Um, so, Emmanuel, I don't know if you know this about our podcast, but we give away books. That's a big part of what we do. And so, naturally, um, we're going to give away a couple copies of your book. Of course, I want to give away a million copies of your book. Um, but if you are interested in entering, go over to Instagram. You'll see all the instructions there. And we will send out a couple copies to unbelievably lucky winners. And the rest of you just go buy it. Um, <laughs> That's right. It's important to buy the book. You need yeah. you need this book. Um, Emmanuel, we cannot thank you enough for your generosity. I mean, just straight up generosity with your wisdom and your energy and your insight. Um, there's no and way that you that, care and that you that care. You care so much. I love that. Yeah, we're really grateful. Of course. I'll end by saying this, and this is just to hold other people accountable. I recently read a Neil deGrasse Tyson quote. I think he's an astrophysicist, also just a super genius. And he said, um, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, what I do, um, I do out of obligation. Because if I have the ability to do something and I can do it better than others, I would be morally irresponsible if I did not. And so people think like, oh, do you just love having uncomfortable conversations? The answer is no. But I would be morally irresponsible if I didn't, because if I can do something better than other people, it's my obligation to do that. So for everybody listening, it's like, just understand what are you skilled at doing to make this world a better place? And even if it is taxing and even if it's burdensome, it's your responsibility to do so because you would be morally irresponsible otherwise. It's great. So grateful you can make it. I'm so sorry we're not there in Hawaii to stay with you for the rest of the evening. <laughs> back but, to the beach. Back to the beach back for to you. The beach. <laughs> All right, y'all. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Manuel. Thanks so much. So, Lisa, what do you have for Parenting to Go this week? Well, for Parenting to Go, you know, I think I want to focus on maybe how we as white families approach questions of talking with kids about racism. I would not presume to be able to guide families of color on how this happens. But I'll tell you how I'm doing it in my own home and with my own family. You know, I, I know I can't tell my girls how to conduct themselves or what to do in any given situation. There's too many variables, too many contexts out there. But I can try to help them know how to think about things. And so what I have said to them lately is, 
with every new headline that we see that is gutting, you know, that is some terrible headline about the harm to a person of color that seems to be very much to do with the fact that they're a person of color, I say to them, here's what I'm doing. I say, you know, I, I'm trying to look at that headline and think, first of all, I will never know what it feels like to be a person of color reading this headline. And I have to sit here and try to imagine what it might feel like to be a person of color reading this headline. To do the two together, to think like I will never know and my job is to try to know, to be humble and empathic side by side. I just, I really hope that that guides them and, and points them in the right direction as they do move into the world and encounter all that's out there. Well, I love this conversation and thank you so much, Lisa. I will see you next week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.